We're going to be uh, looking at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 9 this morning. And uh, if you have been uh, following along with us, we have been working through the different days of 40 in our uh, Bibles as God is calling us on the journey of Lent. We have a couple of different stories that we have been looking at. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, Elijah and his 40-day journey to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. So 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, as we anticipate God speaking to us through his word, let's pause once more and join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and as we open it, we trust that through it you will speak. We thank you for the spirit that unites us in faith, a spirit that transcends languages and cultures and places and times, a spirit that inspired these words to be written and now inspires these words to be preached and inspires these words as they are heard. We thank you, God, for the movement of your spirit. And so help us to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so, uh, real quick reminder, just before this story, Elijah and the priests of Baal have a big showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah prays and God sends fire from heaven and it consumes uh, the sacrifice, it consumes the altar, and all of the priests of Baal who had been in this contest have been slaughtered by the people of Israel who have declared that they're no longer going to worship false gods, but they are going to worship God alone. And so this scene follows. Jezebel the queen sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, that's about the southernmost country, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Elijah looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. This is the word of the Lord. 
James Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense, wrote in the magazine The Atlantic in 2019, quote, I often ask African friends who have immigrated to America what most struck them when they arrived. Their answer is always a variation on a theme, the loneliness. It's the empty suburban street in the middle of the day, maybe with a lone mother pushing a baby carriage on the sidewalk, but nobody else around. I am the only one left. John Capiolco, the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago, is the world's leading expert on loneliness. And in his landmark book, Loneliness, released about 15 years ago, he reflected on how profoundly loneliness is not just an epidemic that we see in the relationships we do or don't have, but in our very bodies. He did tests which found that Older people who are particularly lonely have higher stress hormones in their morning urine. And he found that when they drew blood, the very DNA in the white and red blood cells of individuals changes for those who are most profoundly lonely. I am the only one left. Last month, if you follow it along, there was a rather profound and devastatingly tragic report released by the CDC, reporting that of the 17,000 high school students surveyed in 2021, 42% expressed persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. 57% of girls, 30% of boys report persistent despair. When Elijah says, I am the only one left, there are two ways we can look at a text like that. We can look at a text like that and we can say, Elijah is just having a pity party. After all, he's just left Mount Carmel. He's just witnessed God do something that most people all around the world would crave to see God do now. Show up in an amazing trial, send fire from heaven that consumes rock, sacrifice, water, and turns the entire crowd from being on the side of the prophets of Baal against them. Wouldn't that be a little inspiring as a ministry leader? You'd think that on a morning if Elijah got up to preach and there were hundreds and thousands of people who came thinking Jesus was not the answer and left with lives transformed, ready to go out as warriors for the faith, 
that would bolster Elijah's faith. And yet what the text tells us is that he gets word and he is afraid. And so there's part of us that when we read a text like this, we see Elijah's just kind of having a pity party. If, if he had real faith, if he really trusted God, then, then he'd be good to go. And then, of course, the message for you and I would be just have more faith. Right? When you're lonely, when you don't trust God, when you are feeling despair, when, you, when that is your lot in life, buck up, get over it, God is in charge, get back to work. May the Lord bless you. Right? That would be the message. But how many of us, if we heard that message, would feel in our heart of hearts the defenses go up and the nagging little thought, if you only knew where I was. If you only knew what I was going through. If you only knew about the trouble in my marriage. If you only knew about the, the confusion that I experience about where God is calling me to go next. If you knew, only knew about the unique family situation that I find myself in. If, if you only knew that I, we wouldn't say it, I'm the only one left. Because we know that's not true, right? We know in our head, we know in our heart of hearts that we're not the only one left. But there's, there's something in us that feels that way. And so instead of hearing that first one, it's worth recognizing that for the vast majority of us, we relate to Elijah pretty well. And even if we're not necessarily there in that moment right now, we can call to mind a time in our life or a place in our life where it feels like nobody really understands. And if that's where we are with the text, what we hear from God is less a slap and a get back to work and much more of an extension of grace about what he is up to and who he is. So when Elijah flees, he makes his way out a day's journey into the wilderness. He leaves behind his help and he lays down and asks God for this to be over. And when he wakes up, God has provided two things for him. And these two things are gentle reminders of an episode from before. 
Before when Elijah had to leave Israel in order to flee for his life, he met a widow of Zarephath who made a loaf of bread and gave him a jar of water. That sustained her and that sustained him. And so Jesus, or God, as he is seeing Elijah out in the wilderness, gives this subtle reminder, this very clear callback to where Elijah has been before. The provision hasn't changed. Now the text doesn't tell us that Elijah has in his mind that he's going to go all the way south to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And yet it's a strange thing, isn't it, that when the angel touches Elijah a second time, he says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. This is, has always been one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. The journey is too much for you. You won't make it. Go anyway. We don't have time to unpack this, but you and I hear often that God will never give us more than we can handle. That is not true. The journey is too much for you. If God only gives us what we can handle, then the problem is us because we can't handle it. But the reality is that sometimes God puts things on our plate and in front of us that we can't handle. The journey is too much for us. And when we feel like saying, I am the only one left, God whispers back, you are not alone. And so Elijah journeys. Forty days. We're imagining that a person like Elijah, who's a prophet, knows that Moses spends 40 days up on the mountain, 40 days meeting with God, 40 days of God's presence lighting up Moses' face so that when Moses goes down the mountain, when people look at Moses, they have to put their sunglasses on because his face is so bright. 40 days of journeying in hopes that God will meet him there. And when God meets Elijah, in the cave on the mountain, God allows the wind and the earthquake and the shattered rocks and the thunder and all of the fire that we saw on Mount Sinai in Elijah 19 when God descends, all of it's there. And the text says God isn't in any of that. Which again, if we're thinking about the journey of Elijah, the way that God has said, I'm with you, you are not alone, is I'm going to give you what I gave you before, a loaf of bread and a jar of water. But I'm not going to show up for you the same way that I showed up for Moses. Which is a gentle reminder for you and I that the way God journeys with us is often a way that reminds us of how he's been there before 
but not necessarily the way that he's been there for everybody else. And that's not easy. God says to Elijah, I'm going to be with you. You are not alone as you journey. And this is a gentle and subtle and powerful reminder that I go with you. But when you get to where you are going, do not imagine that I'm going to show up for you in the exact same way. I will show up a little different. And if we keep going, God says to Moses, go and stand on the mountain and the presence of the Lord, for I will pass by. And the earthquake comes and God's not in it, and the fire and the thunder and all of the signs from before for Moses. And then in verse 12, if you have your Bible open, there comes the sound of silence. Commentators and interpreters don't quite know how to reflect this text. But it's literally the sound of silence. And then God responds to Elijah's question and says, go back the way you came. Retrace your steps. Go appoint the next person to take your spot. Anoint the next king. And know that you are not alone. Some of us here this morning who feel alone need to hear the simple message of God saying, you are not alone. And I would encourage you just take a moment, now or maybe when we're praying, if that's you, to look around. These brothers and sisters in Christ are here each week. And they're not here just to hear God preach. They're not here just to sing. They're here as the community of faith. And some of us who are here this morning, who are feeling alone like we are the only one left, need the presence of some of you who have gone before. When God says to Elijah, go appoint the next person to take your place, Elijah hears God is going to continue the work after you. Which is why it's so important for for me and I know he'll get embarrassed by this, it's so important for me to have Pastor Ken here. Somebody who's been in ministry for 50 plus years, who's been faithful all the way through, so that when I'm feeling like that I'm the only one left, I can simply look across and see, no, there's someone else. And for those of you who've gone through troubled marriages or gone through the process of divorce or who've gone through mental health crises or who have gone through trouble with adult children or who have gotten a cancer diagnosis and the threat of death, who have lost a parent, 
God in this moment is saying, you are not alone and the people who are here with you are there for you along the journey. And so some of us, our being here this morning is to hear God encourage us to be the person the, who comes alongside of. Who says, we've been where you are. And we're like the 7,000 remnant who have held on to the faith. And we are going to be the presence and the voice that you are not alone. You are not the only one left. Because the body of Christ is there to call back and forth to each other that we have not been forsaken. That we have not been left as orphans. In a couple of weeks, we're going to gather on Good Friday and we're going to listen as Jesus calls out from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you and I as those who have been brought into the body of Christ might never have to declare that. And Jesus said to his disciples before going to the cross, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you my very self. And you and I, as those who are filled with the Spirit, who have heard those words of Jesus, speak now to each other. And remind one another of who God is and what he is doing. Let's pray. God, if we're coming uh, feeling alone, give us the courage to open our eyes and look around and see that we are not alone. But some of us uh, come this morning having been on a lot of journeys. We've been to Mount Horeb a couple times looking for you. May we appreciate how you have been there for us so that we might encourage others in their journeys. And God, if we have been on a lot of journeys and we are older, may we also see how you are raising up the next generation to keep doing your work. Just as Elijah went back and anointed Elisha, may we see how you continue to call new people to the work of the kingdom. And God, wherever we are and however we come today, may we hear that we are not alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who is for us and with us. Amen.